Okay, so the fried chicken. I can see there's, there's three drumsticks left with just two people in front of me, which leads to a few possible ways this scenario can play out. It, it's very possible I'm not going to get any of these drumsticks if these two people take all of them. It's most likely that I'm going to get one, whether they leave me just one that I can take, or if they leave two, I can't take both of them. I would just be a jerk at that moment. There's still people in line behind me. But if they leave all three of them, which seems like it's at least a possibility, I mean, to be honest, they look a little older, so maybe they're like watching their cholesterol or something. If, if they leave three of them, I, with a clear conscience, can take two of them because I would still be leaving one for the people behind me. I'm not the jerk at that point. This was the chain of logic that was reverberating in my mind as I stood in the potluck line after church one Sunday my freshman year of high school. And with all of this mathematics about fried chicken playing around, it, it took me by complete surprise when the elderly gentleman in front of me turned around and made a comment that was completely unrelated to fried chicken. I was so bewildered and stunned, I think you could see the confusion on my face, so he, he just repeated himself and it was one of those weird instances when having someone repeat themselves actually brought more confusion than clarity. Young man, I think you'd make a great pastor someday. I was so stunned by this statement, I didn't even notice that he was piling all three of the drumsticks onto his plate. That was until his wife turned around and yelled at him in front of everyone for being impolite. Young man, I think you would make a great pastor someday. It was such a short and seemingly insignificant exchange that it was actually rather infuriating that those words were still echoing in my mind months later. Aren't echoes supposed to get quieter as they go, not louder? I remember a full year later, laying in bed, I had had many conversations with God at this point, but this one in particular, I'm lying there thinking, God, just let me go to sleep. Like, I, I love you. I want to serve you. I just want to do it my own way by caring for your people. You see, I was already thoroughly convinced by this point as a, as a sophomore in high school that I was going to be a chiropractor someday, so much so that I had already adjusted my schedule, pun intended, so that I could have a couple of extra science classes that I didn't really need in order to graduate, but that would help later on in chiropractic school. And yet... God's thumb never seemed to leave my back. And so I finally changed the argument from, God, I want to serve you my own way to, God, you just have the wrong guy. Uh, I'm this no-name kid from Pueblo West, Colorado, who, by the way, is an introvert with a pornography addiction. You have the wrong person. 
I, okay, listen, being a pastor, I don't know if you know this, God, is being in the people business. As an introvert, I'm not suited for that. That's not who you wired me to be. And even if I could get past that piece of it, I've already disqualified myself from being used by you by getting into this nasty, terrible, life-draining habit that I cannot get myself out of. Can you please just drop it, leave me alone, let me get some sleep? Now, I hate spoilers, but at the risk of spoiling the end of this story, I'm Pastor Tommy, and I have the privilege of working with students here at Plum Creek. If you've been with us the past several weeks, uh, you might recall that we're picking back up in the midst of a series called Fourth Wall. Now, Fourth Wall is this showbiz term that represents this imaginary fourth wall that exists between the performers and the audience. That imaginary fourth wall is represented physically by the screen of your device when you're watching TV or movies. But when it comes to God, there is no fourth wall. We've already learned in this series that God is, is present. He is near all the time, everywhere, and that that ought to be a comfort to us, especially in moments of temptation, because his word says he will always provide a way out of temptation through his presence. And so even though we, we've been taught and we know on some level, yes, there's no fourth wall, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? There have certainly been many moments in my life where I have felt this imaginary fourth wall. It showed up because of my feelings, just like when God was working in my heart and in my life, calling me to be a pastor, thinking, listen, I'm inadequate. You've got the wrong person. And even though... God is certainly not calling every single one of us to be a pastor. I'm sure that if you've been following Jesus for any significant amount of time, you've bumped up against feelings of inadequacy. In fact, as we read through the Bible, we see over and over again God calling someone by name, and they respond almost the same way every time, something akin to, you have the wrong person. Clearly, I'm not the one you want for this job. That was certainly the case for Moses. In Exodus chapter 2, as we'll see today, if you have your Bibles, your devices, I would love for you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. If not, don't worry, it'll be up on the screen. But as you turn to Exodus chapter 2, let me say a quick word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your amazing goodness and love. I just pray that in these next few moments, you would focus our hearts and our minds on you, that God, we would be able to tear down these imaginary walls in our lives and to experience your presence and your good, pleasing, and perfect will. God, we give everything to you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So in case you're not familiar with this story, let me just catch you up a little bit before we start reading. God's people, the Israelites, at this point are slaves to the Egyptians, and they are growing tremendously in population to the point that the Pharaoh, who is like the king of Egypt, 
he's like, okay, we need to make this a law. Every newborn baby boy needs to be put to death to stop their population from growing. But there's this family that are somehow able to hide their newborn son for about three months until the mother makes the decision that she's going to put him in a basket and put him in a river, which, by the way, always sounded way more like something a dad would do than a mom, personally, but not out of wisdom. But the boy is found by Pharaoh's daughter. She adopts him and names him Moses. So we've got this this boy Moses who was born as an Israelite, a Hebrew, and God's people, but he was adopted into an Egyptian family. So when we pick up in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand." This is fourth wall living at its very finest. It says that Moses looks all around, no people are watching, so he assumes he's alone, never even considers God, that he's present, that he's there. But I suppose we can almost give Moses a little bit of a pass here because, sure, he was born as an Israelite, one of God's people, but he was raised in an Egyptian family, and I highly doubt they were talking about God very often in that household. But regardless of whether or not Moses was thinking about God in that moment, it's, it's the aftermath of the terrible things that he has done, and I would say the same is true for us, that call, cause us to feel like we've disqualified ourselves. We, we look back at all of the terrible things that we have done, lying, cheating, stealing, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, sexual sin, emotional infidelity, murder, and think, these things have disqualified me. They, they, they are going to keep me from being used by God. In fact, they might keep me from being wanted by God. Why would, want, or why would God want anything to do with me? And so we create, we build this imaginary wall of ineligibility. Just like in sports or choir or band or theater or academic decathlon, whatever is or was your thing, we think, okay, the poor choices that I have made, that means that I'm ineligible, I'm disqualified, I'm no longer able to participate And we think the same thing is true for God. But all throughout the Bible, we see that God is the God of second and third and fourth and 50th chances. And if you need a number greater than 50, God's the God of that number too. Now, certainly our our actions do have consequences that can really mess things up in a major way in our lives. But they will never keep us from being wanted or being used by God in some way. In fact, Moses himself, his very propensity for for being a hothead, he's unable to work through that. God gives him so many chances, but the fact that he's not able to get over that means that he never is able to step foot into the promised land after all of this is over. So he certainly has to deal with the consequences, but... 
as we'll see here in a second, his hot-headedness, it never keeps him from being used by God. And your past will never keep you from being used by God either. Because God's power is at work in us and through us, allowing us to overcome. If you have ever, or if you currently are, if you've fallen into the trap of thinking that God, when he looks at me, he sees all of the sin and terrible things that I've done in my past, you're 100% wrong. When we give ourselves over to Jesus, all of that goes away. When God looks at us, he sees his child that he loves more than anything, that he's proud of. When he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus covering us. There is no fourth wall of ineligibility because when you say yes to Jesus, give those things over to him. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a liar or a cheater or an adulterer or a murderer. He sees his child. He he loves you. As long as we give those things over to Jesus, everything changes. But again, our actions do always have consequences, and they certainly did for Moses. We'll see as we continuing in verse 13 here. The next day when Moses went out to visit his people, again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Moses started that day with two passports. Again, he he was born into an Israelite family, but adopted into an Egyptian family. He starts the day with two passports, but ends his day with none. So Moses finds himself in a position that many of us have or do or will at various points in our lives. And Moses just doesn't quite know where he fits. Ah, the, the Egyptians are trying to kill me. The Israelites didn't want anything to do with me. It was a low point in Moses' life that would eventually come to define him in his own mind. So that when years later, God is calling out to Moses from inside a burning bush, Moses has again built this, this imaginary wall You see, Moses, again, he goes from being in the Pharaoh's own household, living the life of luxury to toiling away in obscurity for 40 years as a shepherd. And so Moses' response in this statement that we're going to read next, it kind of makes sense almost when we think of that. In verses 9 and 11 of chapter 3, it says, look, The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? It would almost appear as if Moses has completely forgotten who he is for a moment. 
Who are you? Moses, you are perfectly suited for this. You were born as an Israelite, but you were raised in the Pharaoh's household. It's not the same Pharaoh. That guy died. There's a new one. I mean, I guess maybe it kind of makes sense. If I was like some long lost relative of the president, that doesn't necessarily mean that I can just stroll into the White House whenever I want and have a conversation with the guy. Like, hey, it's cool, I'm family. And so maybe Moses has a point here, even being the long-lost nephew of the Pharaoh twice removed. But I think what is really happening here is that Moses is still defining himself by an earlier event in his life. God, aren't you forgetting I lost both of those passports The Israelites don't want anything to do with me. If I go back there, the Egyptians are trying to kill me. I don't fit into either of those scenarios. I I don't have rapport in either of these camps. Clearly, you are looking for someone else with a better reputation, with better connections, with a better resume than I have. Moses, he... Because of his lack of understanding of his true identity as a child of God, he has built yet another wall, an imaginary wall of insufficiency. Again, you're looking for someone else, better connections, better resume, better reputation. That's certainly what I thought. But if we look in the Bible, we actually might see a pattern of exactly the opposite, that God often chooses the least to accomplish the greatest. Jesus called a ragtag group, some of them fishermen. By the way, they only ever became fishermen because the religious leaders of their time said, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough to be religious leaders, so you need to go practice the trade of your father. And Jesus comes along and says, no, no, that's not true. I don't care what they said about you. I don't care what your family dynamics are. I don't care who has rejected you. I'm saying yes to you. In fact, one of them, he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. God doesn't care about your history, your your family dynamics, what other people have said or thought about you. God certainly still wants you. He doesn't care about our ability. He just cares about our availability. Maybe he's not calling you to be a pastor, but for some of you, maybe he is. But even if he's not, God wants to use you because there are people around us everywhere perishing that need to know the love of God, and we have the ability to point them towards him. I recently heard Pastor Andy Stanley say, I may not always have the answers, but I usually know what love requires of me. In other words, I may not know what God wants me to do with my life, but I can usually figure out what God wants me to do right now in this situation by simply asking, how can I best love? How can I show the love of God in this situation? Because when we show the love of God, we become the hands and feet and mouthpiece of God. And that's, that's what he wants of all of us. There is no fourth wall of insufficiency. And the biggest reason why comes in God's response in verse 12. Moses says, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out? And in verse 12, it says, God answered, I will be with you. 
It's really not about us anyway. It's God at work in us and God at work through us that's going to accomplish his will. That ought to be a great comfort to us when we say yes to God. But it isn't quite enough for Moses to ignore one more fourth wall. Moses and God, they keep up this dialogue until in chapter 4, the next chapter, starting in verse 10, it says, But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Moses builds this imaginary wall of incompetency. God, I, I, again, I've, I've disqualified myself. I'm ineligible. But let's say you want to get past that. Okay, great. I, I'm also insufficient. I don't have the resume. I don't have the connections for this. But even if you want to get past that, I'm incompetent. I cannot do the very thing you are calling me to do. And God kind of gets a little salty and is like, hey, who made your mouth, Moses? I know exactly who you are. I thought for the longest time, there's no way I could possibly be a pastor. I'm an introvert. And in fact, so many times, even after I said yes to God along the way, I can't tell you the number of people that came along and said, putting their finger on the exact insecurity that I pointed out to God, you can't be a pastor as an introvert. You're never going to be good at this as an introvert. But somewhere along the way, God helped me realize, listen, I know who you are. Who made your mouth? Who, who designed you? That was me. And I did it on purpose. And I want you. I think, honestly, that's one of the very reasons why God chose me. Because I have to give him the glory. What I do is against my very nature. When God does anything through me, it's him, not me. And I think we have to get to this place where we can understand, yeah, it's true, we are incompetent. But God wants to use us anyway because it's not even him, it's, it's not even us, it's him working through us. Moses tries to disqualify himself yet again because of this imaginary wall of incompetency, but it actually seems Moses has selective memory because actually in Acts chapter 7, years later, this guy Stephen, he was the first person who was put to death, who was killed for his faith in Jesus. But he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians he was powerful in both speech and action. It's sad, but sometimes if we let them, the circumstances and the trauma of life can just kind of beat out of us the very giftings that God gave us to accomplish His will. Moses has experienced so much trauma and is, feels so beaten down by this point that he can't even remember. Actually, that was something that I used to be good at, but the circumstances of life have completely taken that away from me. But God doesn't call him on his selective memory. He just says, okay, fine. 
I'll give you your brother Aaron. He'll be your mouthpiece like you were supposed to be my mouthpiece. And he removes that argument, that fourth wall of incompetency in Moses' life. Even in his failures, even in his insecurities and his brokenness, God is not only with Moses as he's wandering, but he still wants him. He still wants to use him, and God wants to use you too. But it's ultimately up to us to say yes to God. It's a choice, and it's an incredibly important choice because, again, there are people all around us in our neighborhoods, at work, at school, in our very families that are perishing and drowning in sin. And we have the ability to point them towards the God who can heal them with our actions, with our lives, with our words. It's too important not to say yes, but that's unlikely to happen if we don't first tear down these imaginary walls of ineligibility, insufficiency, and incompetency. And so our main thought today is this. Choose the real will of God over imaginary walls. I would encourage you to write that down. Put it somewhere that you can see it this week to remind you to choose the real will of God over these imaginary walls. It was such a short and seemingly insignificant statement that changed the course of my life forever. And it was infuriating that for almost three years, those words were stuck in my mind like a song that just won't go away, like a splinter that won't come to the surface, like a weed that just keeps growing, choking out every other thought. Until finally, the summer after my junior year of high school, I went to this conference with thousands of other teenagers And after one of the sessions, the woman who was preaching said, I want anyone who feels like they're being called into some kind of full-time vocational pastoral ministry to come down front so we can have someone pray for you. And I found myself halfway down the aisle of my section of this massive stadium before I really realized what was happening. And I was like, what am I doing? I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. And I remember thinking, okay, it would be way less embarrassing to just go down front and let someone pray for me and go through the motions than it would be to turn around and go back to my seat. So God, I'm not saying yes. I just don't want to be embarrassed. And I knelt down and a man came and put his hand on my shoulder and began to pray in my ear. And in the course of about three minutes, he said everything that I needed to hear to finally say yes to God after three years of saying no thank you. He prayed against any feelings 
that I may have in my life of being unequipped or ill-suited. He prayed against any feelings of being insecure or unworthy. He prayed for freedom from any sins that might keep me from living out my calling, which ultimately became the catalyst of me getting clean from this addiction. And by the time he said amen, I was all in. And I stood up wiping tears from my eyes, ready to turn around and give this man a huge bear hug because he has no idea, but he just changed the course of my life forever. But as I turned around, he was already gone in the sea of people. I never even saw this man's face, but in the course of a single prayer, he helped me to choose the real will of God over the imaginary walls that I had built in my life. I don't know what you are currently going through, and I don't know what many of you have been through but I do know that God wants you and he wants to use you. God does not cause these terrible things to happen in our lives, but if we allow him, God also never wastes a hurt, which means that he is uniquely equipping you to use your story to speak to someone else. He is uniquely equipping you to be able to help someone else when they are at the deepest pit of despair because you've already been there. He is uniquely equipping you to be a champion for justice and righteousness in this world to build his kingdom here on earth. You may not know the exact details but you can usually figure out what love requires of you. And so I'd like to pray for you before we leave today that you would choose the real will of God over imaginary walls. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your incredible goodness and grace and love and the fact that you have so evidently pursued me for so much of my life. And God, we can trust that even when we can't see it, you are always at work behind the scenes in our lives, drawing us nearer to you. So God, I pray that you would help us to be okay with being wanted by you, to, to be able to tear down these imaginary walls of ineligibility, insecurity, and insufficiency, and incompetency. God, I just, I pray right now for everyone listening in this room or at home, online, God, in their car, wherever they might be, I just pray against any feelings of being unequipped or ill-suited. 
God, that, that you ultimately just want to work through us, that it's you and us just saying yes. God, I pray against any feelings of insecurity or unworthiness. And God, I pray for freedom from any sins that might be tearing us down and destroying our lives and just wreaking havoc all around us. God, I pray for freedom. I pray for those chains to be broken in our lives. I pray that those walls would come down. God, I pray that you would allow us to give those things and ourselves completely over to you. God, your word says that you have given us a spirit of boldness and courage and love and self-control, and so we pray that that would be true and reign true in our lives. Father, I pray that you would allow us to be so bold so full of courage that we would invite someone else into the mess. Because God, finding healing, it, it can't happen on our own. You never designed us to go through life carrying these things on our own. So help us to be vulnerable with one another. God, we want your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, but it has to start in our lives so help us to give ourselves completely over to you. We love you. It's your name that we pray. Amen.